him, aren't you? You're the Goblin King. I want my brother back, please, if it's all the same. Please, where is he? You know very well where he is. Forget about the baby. I've brought you a gift. What is it? It's a crystal. Nothing more. But if you turn it this way, look into it. It'll show you your dreams. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I am Tristan. And I'm Greg. And today we are taking it back to 1986 to discuss the Jim Henson puppetry classic Labyrinth, a very uh, poignant movie in a lot of people's history. A lot of people have said or say... Uh, how significant this was in their childhood. Not me. Yeah, really. I saw it 10 years ago. Was, was, this a, was it a childhood movie for you? I would have. I definitely saw it. I was right. definitely scared of it. And I definitely merged it with Dark Crystal. I, had, I think I got a similar thing going on where I saw Dark Crystal, um, I think at a drive-in. You've somehow. been to a drive-in? It's like a family thing and it scared the shit out of me. You went to a drive-in with your family? Yeah. Well, how, I guess that, it was the 80s. How does that work with the makeout part? Uh, that's why I was in the front seat by myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's why I was so hor- horrifically scarred by this experience. That's why you ended up in the rainbow class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this distant look like I just left a drive-in. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, Dark Crystal scared the fuck out of me. Yeah, Even right. just the look of the puppets. And so I think mm. in my household, maybe it was a conscious decision to keep me away from that kind mm. of content. Because yeah. I had... Barely heard of it until my late teens, early twenties. So I watched <laughs> it for I the first home. time. I literally watched it for the first time like ten years ago. Okay, yeah. So I'm slightly breaking the template here on that one, but you watched it, so it works. Yep. I've but I think it'll be good it. because I won't be clouded by nostalgia on this. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring in a, a more uh, objective, nostalgia-free take. It's a fresh take. It's a fresh take, bro. It's a fresh take. Um, so yeah, it was 1986, mm-hmm. June 27. Mm-hmm. Budget of 25 million dollars and a gross of 13 million dollars. Ouch. 13.7. Ouch. Yeah, not great, not great. So this was one of those ones that took a while to pick up steam. Yeah, it was a flop, straight mm-hmm. up flop. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even in the top 10. It wasn't even even in the top 50. Then obviously it had a whole new life in home entertainment which is kind of nice, yep. but yeah, really wasn't, this was not its success. No, a box office failure. Massive failure. And it was Jim Henson's last movie too, which is kind of sad. It's and he sad. took it hard apparently. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really rattled him. He didn't get how it wasn't well received, I believe. Which I can understand. I don't really get it either. Pretty, Marketing? Yeah. What? I don't get it. it. It's a fair question. Yeah. You've got David Bowie. Yeah. You've got a shitload of work in terms of effort and... Insane, just levels of detail. There would have been buzz, surely, right? Because this is Jim Henson's era too. Like, yep, wouldn't that's this right. have been? What was the, how did Dark Crystal went pretty okay? Didn't I it? think Do so. Yeah, so I don't really get that. In saying that, critic score for this was sixty nine percent, and I think there may be a typo here because audience score is eight hundred and forty six percent. I'd say it's probably eighty six. Uh, you can't really challenge it. It's eight hundred and forty-six. <laughs> what? What? That's, this is the biggest disparity we've ever seen. 
Uh huh. Well, you've got to you got to factor in the goblins. Yeah, and time moves differently in in the labyrinth too. So don't try and yeah, you just got to let it kind of just roll with it. Yeah. So we're going to do this a little differently this time around. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to put you on the spot. Instead, I want Greg's take. What's the top ten Carney films of '86? What, what's your top ten if you had to choose? My top ten of 1986. Um, thanks for asking. All right, I don't know if this is going to add up to 10. I'm just going to spitball some films that I liked in that year. Uh, Crocodile Dundee, I'm going to say Platoon. I'm going to say Aliens. I'm going to say Top Gun. I'm going to say The Mission. The the soundtrack alone puts it right in the top of the mix for me. Ferris Bueller, Short Circuit, Karate Kid 2, The Color of Money I liked. Stand by me, stand by me. Right at the top of all that of all this, Golden Child. I loved. How many movies have I said? I feel like I've said a lot. You've said a lot. You've only missed three. Okay, what did so, I miss? So Top Gun was number one. Yeah. Crocodile Dundee number two. Ah. Platoon number three. Uh, Karate Kid part two number four. Wow. Star Trek four: The Voyage Home yeah. was number five. I'm immune. Number six was Back to School. Aliens. <laughs> Yep. Golden Child, number eight. Ruthless People, number nine. And Ferris Bills Day Off, number 10. And coming in all the way at number 77. No, <laughs> number 66 is Labyrinth. 66. 66, man. There's a few notables in here, though. Cobra, Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. Three Amigos. Money Pit, Short Circuit, which you said. And the original Transformers animated picture. All right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good, good stuff. Do you want to know some more about 86? Yeah, hit me. Mike Tyson won his first heavyweight title, ah. which is a big deal. He's still the youngest heavyweight to ever win the heavyweight. Yeah. A few other big moments. Pixar opened for business. Significant. The in Pixar the... we know? Or like Correct. was it still the short movies that kind of, what were they doing? Oh, well, it was Pixar, man. What, yeah. what do you want? Well, Toy Story wasn't until 95. <laughs> yeah, same year as Pocahontas. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've been hearing. <laughs> So that's interesting, in, in you know, when we talk CG versus... Um, well, it versus, is interesting because, yeah, it took labyrinth. them that long to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Pixar in the early days was actually making hardware yeah. and uh, they got John Lasseter on and the short films they made were actually more tech demos than um, movies. Mm. But that's the shit that won Steve Jobs over and he's like, yeah, like, keep like doing this. that shit, that's cool. And eventually they made Toy Story, a lot happened in between. Mm. <laughs> A book. But, yeah, well, a great book. That's how I know this. I read yeah, a book once. I listened I to book. it. I heard a book. <laughs> um, so for you sporting fans, this is an interesting one. The Chicago Bears, mm. perennial underachieving NFL team, beat the Pats, perennial overachieving NFL team. Oh, yes. So Chicago Bears won the um, Super Bowl. That was the last time they won at 86. Similar outcome in Australian sport in the rugby league. Parramatta Eels beat Canterbury Bulldogs, and that was the last time that Parramatta has won. It's the year of the underdog. Year of the underdog. Yeah, some interesting parallels. A, sorry, an interesting parallel, singular. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's not overcook it. So that was pretty big. Uh, in music, people were walking like an Egyptian. Ooh. Whitney wanted to know, how will she know? <laughs> and she was explaining the greatest love of all. And Prince dropped a little track called Kiss. Oh. Personal favorite of mine. Good track. That takes me back. Yeah. Some good context. 
It does it does give me some some member berries there. I mean, I obviously didn't see this in cinema. Yeah. So it wasn't really a big nostalgia bomb for me. I mean, I'm a huge Bowie fan, so that layer to it, yep. I guess I have some some emotional link to. But outside of that, I don't really have a lot of personal story behind this movie. Mm-hmm. What about you, Greg? Uh, probably a little bit more so. It wasn't my favorite movie as a kid, that's for sure. Right. I have pretty clear memories of being scared by the, what's the word, Eshers? Escher? Oh, yeah. By that final Escher-inspired scene when Bowie walks around. That was pretty good, eh? Yeah, and he's that Ken doll that sort of pops out of it. Yeah. I have distinct memories. And that was real. Scared shitless of that. Really? That yeah. out of everything? I yeah, Bowie freaked me out as a kid. That's what I'm thinking. When I turn this back on, I... Fair enough. And I'm a Bowie fan. Yeah, I don't blame you. In my adult... Even when I life. first watched this as an adult, I thought, what an odd... Like, this is really creepy. <laughs> it's creepy. It, it is, is creepy. creepy. I was okay with this time now that, you know, I'm more grown up and stuff, but I... I did get really clear memories of being scared of this movie, and I found yeah. I found Bowie really unsettling as a as a boy. I don't know what it was. His whole gender bending, makeuping, big hair, gravity bending, gravity bending. His whole thing, his, yeah. the whole Bowie thing, freaked me out. And highlighted by the fact that he was walking around those stairs the way he was. Yeah, that's about it. Mm. Um, I, and and other than, and I kind of blurred it with Dark Crystal a bit, which I think I saw more. I still have that image etched into my brain of those. I found them so creepy, those puppets. Yeah. Like the main yeah. characters, they're not even meant to be creepy. Uh-huh. It, it creeped me out. I couldn't sleep because of that shit. I'm sorry. You okay now? I think I can make it through. Maybe let's take a little trailer break. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets and Dark Crystal. Ah! Where you go with a head like that? George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. (laughs) And one of the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars with no one. The world of Labyrinth. Great. Yeah, so how was your rewatch? Was that still creeped you out, the old Defying Gravity Bowie? Uh, the rewatch was good. Yeah. Yeah. Call outs were the music. Yeah, big time. Big time. <laughs> that <laughs> like, was big for me. Like they're good songs. And yeah. They just, and it kind of, he just, you know. Down. It's a mood too. Like it's just hits a spot. Yeah, he just but he just start. It's it's musical. It is. It's kind of like a musical in that regard. Like he yeah. just drops into song. Like Magic Dance, that is a banger. That's that's actually funny. 
it is a musical, but I didn't really think of it that way until you said it. You know how sometimes musicals are quite jarring? It's like, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, and now we're going to sing. Yeah, I hate it. It didn't feel like that. It just felt right. Because it was such a good song. Yeah. The songs were good. And it's Bowie, so it's okay just to see him just start Dance, magic, dance. (laughs) It's going to keep happening. Just be ready. Yeah. I was listening to it all week. Same. All week. It's good. Yeah, the soundtrack, check it out. It's a a real Even if you hate the movie. It's a real treat. You never want to watch the movie. I even thought if I had people over, I would comfortably put that on just as like, well, any stage of the yeah. party, yep. the eating part, if you're having guests over for a, a dinner-based activity, or later when it gets a bit looser and loosey-goosey. And Kick-ons. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's relevant for all social occasions. I got some weird phrasing in my notes. I wrote, totally quite odd. <laughs> I must have mixed my notes there. But one thing I was, as I was watching it, I'm like, I can't tell, who is this for? Because yep. it's kind of kids-ish, but... I would have been horrified, like I said, if I if I watched this, I would have been fucking horrified. I think that's the idea. I think it's, it's meant, meant to be scary to be. for kids. You know what? That's a good point because it is kind of a modern fairy tale. Yeah, and fairy tales are scary. That's, well, really. yeah, when you it's got real clear, you know, brothers Grimm. That's probably sort of the yeah. Vibes. That's probably the right way to think of it. And Bowie's creepiness. Yeah, it's intentional. Yeah, yeah, it must be because you can't do that by accident. Which is no. kind of what I landed on. Uh, I'm getting into some fan theories a little later, but mm. I've I've landed on what I think is my point of view on this movie, yep. which sort of, I wouldn't say it makes total sense of that, but it kind of is an angle where I can go, oh, I get maybe why they did that. Yeah. His junk. <laughs> yeah. It was there. It was confronting. You know what Ara said? What? Um, he oh, has- he hasn't learned the, the bread trick. What's the bread trick? That's what models do, apparently. They put bread in your crutch, so it just, it doesn't... So you still have a bulge, but it's not as defined. <laughs> it's <laughs> less of a like. That's the thing. Models do it. So male like it, it'll be like in a, yeah, male model. <laughs> 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 so it's a move to put bread in your crutch. This sounds like the potato on your toggle. It just joke. softens your crutch. Yeah, so it's less like oh, there's the shaft and there's the left nut. Ah, you know, it's there's just the vein. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Every now and then it would hit the light in such a way where I kind of flinched, like oh. Yeah, it was a very intentional trouser snake. Yeah, yeah, it must be because again, you can't. That's not an accident. But it, yeah, it'll come in into the uh, theories about yeah the meaning of the movie. I think, a bit. but with fresh the eyes, sexuality of well, it was, which we'll it get was, into. It's yeah. rife. It's rife with phallic symbolism. And I think I ended up watching it twice this week, actually. Uh-huh. And I didn't have a lot of nostalgia going into it. I actually got more in the groove the second time around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I, I find was. That generally. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense. But I was. I found myself like giggling a bit more, just kind of getting on the. In, yeah, just being less critical and just going along with the. Yeah, experience. yeah. So yeah, I think it, it won me over eventually. Yeah. Still wouldn't say I love it. I liked it. It's a delightful romp. Hmm. I get why it's a cult classic. Yeah, yeah. But of course, you know how I feel about practical effects and yeah, there were practical effects aplenty in here. Yeah, there's so a lot of that. Um, <clears throat> I think even on that, purely on that level, you would you could watch this movie and go, if you didn't like it, which... Mm. But how'd they do that? Like, just or just marvel in the, yeah. the work. Because yeah. like, that is all I think that was my first work. watch through was that. And then the second one, I was more engrossed in the actual story yeah i was more in it so it's a it's a funny one in how it came to be because i mean this is jim henson's era yep well what two years after or i mean they came up with this i think soon after dark crystal but then obviously it takes a while yeah so it was jim henson and he'd worked with brian frode fraud on dark crystal 
and then come up with this idea together. Uh-huh. So Brian Freud is like a artist, like a fairy. Yep. Well, don't say fairy artist. He believes in fairies. Yeah, like he does fantasy stuff. Apparently. And I think a lot of it starts as conceptual art, and then the other brains come on and go, "Oh, what could that story be?" Yeah. And so for this one, it started with um, goblins. Yeah, let's do goblins this time. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of folklore around goblins still babies. Which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. That, yeah, that explained a lot of the plot, which I thought was fucking batshit crazy. They're like, yeah. oh, that's just what goblins do. Goblins are known apparently for apparently. stealing babies. And you have to There's a them. bit of assumed knowledge going into this, right? It's like, yeah. oh, is that a... Because I felt, especially on the first watch, I was like, wait, but am I expected... Wait, what? I thought I'd turned it off. Turned it on halfway through. Yeah, yeah. It does feel like that. Am I supposed to know that that's a thing? Like, how does she know of the Goblin King? We'll get into that. Yeah. But um, so he had this image of a baby surrounded by goblins, which kind of inspired the whole thing. They wanted it to be a bit lighter than Dark Crystal. Fair enough, because that's fucking scary. Is it? I need to rewatch that. They brought in a writer, Dennis Lee, and they, initially they got him to write a novella that would, with the goal of translating that into a script. It kind of lost steam and then they brought in a Mr. Terry Jones. Yes, of Monty Python fame. Exactly. Yeah, so he didn't really like that novella so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so went back to the sketches and started writing a script based on that around, this is in 84. Right. So he was into it, mm-hmm. he, and it's, it's kind of cool. Like he was saying, he's collaborating with this guy, even though they weren't in the room together. He's taking his art and going, oh, who yeah. would that character be? It's kind of a less traditional approach to writing, which I guess is what gets it into a really weird territory maybe. It's very nice complementary skill sets that they're all bringing as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sharing a bit of a bit of an idea of where it might go. Yeah, but even from there, it got a lot of rewrites. Mm-hmm. George Lucas getting his hands in there, yep. his little sticky a beak. Adding a few lightsabers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it went through quite a few rewrites. There were a few different versions of this. The original theme, I guess, or the original takeaway from the Jareth point of view, Bowie's character, was that, you know, he seemed all powerful, but this was actually just trying to keep people away from his heart. I move the stars for no one. But you. Dance, magic, dance. I've set him off. <laughs> he's like, if he's doing it, I'm yeah, doing it's it. it <laughs> I've been holding back. <laughs> been holding back. <laughs> uh, sorry. Go on. So, a couple of little funny little various twists on, on where the story was going. Initially, the Goblin King was not supposed to be in the film until towards the end. But I think once they got Bowie, it was like, you get Bowie. You fucking use oh, Bowie. Oh, you are riding that Bowie. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was such a musical, but you get Bowie, mm-hmm. you make it a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, the dancing scene, the the ballroom dance scene, that was yep. a bit that had a bit more sexuality to it, then, which I don't think it needed. Then originally then it, intended. Then well, more than what we ended up with. We ended up with a whole lot. Yeah. It Apparently was there was more dialogue, charged. and in terms of the other puppets in the room, there was a bit more. Uh, it was more sexualized in what was what was, was going on. Yeah. I mean, so obviously it the was. casting's a huge part of this movie, right? So they they eventually land Bowie. We all know that. Spoiler alert. But what about Sarah? 
So when they first made the character Sarah, yeah, she wasn't always a fifteen-year-old girl from the US. At one point she was a king. Another point she was a princess. Mm-hmm. Another point a young girl from Victoria or Victorian England, like like Geelong <laughs> from, <Mul- laughs> from Dandenong. Yeah, she made a mean latte. We have no listeners in Melbourne, by the way. It's weird, isn't it? Um, they eventually landed on a fifteen-year-old American girl with the idea that it's all about taking responsibility for one's life, which is one of the realizations of a teenager. Ah. Um, that will be a central theme throughout Do not the picture. Give your step siblings away to goblin kings. Exactly. We can all learn a little bit from that. Yeah. Interesting casting potentials within there. Hugely. Yeah. Probably one of the more diverse mixes of... I don't think too many movies or characters would ever have Sarah Jessica Parker, Yasmin Bleeth and Helena Bonham Carter Mm. in the same shortlist. Jane Krakowski from 30 Rock. Oh. Yeah. She kind of looks like she could be Bowie's daughter. Yeah. Because she was a bit of a child star, right? She was in... um, one of the vacations, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, Chris uh, Waltz. Uh, yeah. Marissa Tomei, Laura Dern. That's pretty much everyone. That's every... Who else is there? Who else is there that's white? Jennifer Connelly, as it turns out. She's not a racially diverse set. No, you're right. Various shades of white. Yeah. But a young Jennifer Connelly came in and blew Henson away. Then, of course, we come to Jareth himself, uh-huh. which to me is always a made-up name. Jareth. Hmm. Did you ever watch Arrested Development? I did. Jareth Cute Story. He makes up that name one time. <laughs> I think you remember it better than I do. Uh, it didn't it certainly didn't take off in popular culture the way other film movies. It's not like Khaleesi. <laughs> it's no Khaleesi. A lot of Khaleesi's being born post Game of Thrones, apparently. Yeah. <clears throat> Alright, so then we get to Jareth. Jareth Cute Story. And lots of names thrown around for Mr. Jareth for Bowie. Bowie. Side all- note, David Bowie's name, you know what his real name is? Jareth. Jareth, cute story. No, (laughs) David Jones. Oh. And just as he was starting out, a little band called The Monkees came around. Mm -hmm. And one of their guys, I guess, was Davy Jones or something. Sure. So guess what he changes his name to? Ziggy. Tom Jones. (laughs) And then Tom Jones releases It's Not Unusual. And so he changed his name to David Bowie. What? Yeah. Wow. Cute story. Wow. 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 Sting. Sting. Prince. Prince. Jagger. Michael. Who? Michael. Michael who? Michael Jordan. Michael Jackson. I love all the goblins. Oh, that would have really, oh, that would have really dated, wouldn't it? Hanging out with all these, still on a baby. Oh. Dropping it off the balcony. Um, Yeah, the balcony scene would have really dated. They're all pretty good. Like, Bowie's obviously perfect. But you can see, I could see a really interesting spin on every single one of those. Yeah, because you know what? One of one of my rewatch thoughts was that this movie without Bowie wasn't much. Yeah, or but, someone of that. But maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. Like if Prince, I could see a Prince version. It would be a different oh, totally. movie and different music, obviously, and everything. But you need someone Prince like would have had that him playing basketball <laughs> for pancakes and grapes. Yeah, I mean, MJ would have been the weirdest, but even Sting would have been interesting. Mick Jagger's probably at the bottom of the list for me. Yeah. Yeah, I could see Sting doing it because of his appearance. But musically, I think Prince, obviously Bowie smashed it. Uh, and yeah. MJ would be the best, I think. I don't know. I could just see yeah, him. Yeah, especially if you get a little Quincy in there. Yeah. yeah. I could just see them nailing the 
The sound, the soundtrack. Yeah, because even like MJ and the Wiz. The Wiz. Remember the Wiz? No. Nope. Wizard of Oz. No, I don't think I ever saw it. No, it was really cool, man. This movie's kind of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Big time. Um, Big time. Should we? Let's touch on that because it basically is. We said that earlier. It's basically a modern fairy tale mm-hmm. to the point where they nearly had legal issues with Mr. Maurice Sendak. Yeah. Because it's very similar. Obviously, where the wild things are, but there's another book I'm forgetting the name of that it was really close to. Sendak's other book. A baby was stolen, but then... And Ludo, the character, that's straight out of the wild things, right? Oh, that's pretty close, actually, yeah. Well, basically, she has all these books in her room in the beginning. Uh So you see where the wild things are, you see Wizard of Oz, you see Snow White. Um, I'm probably forgetting a few Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, which is all there, and it all makes sense. And And I think when we get into more of the... More of the reading of the film, you can see why they're there, probably. But it's a nod. It's a nod. I think at a, at a at a meta level, it's a nod. But I think even within the film, it's probably a. Eh, eh, Is it an Easter egg? So on casting Bowie, I don't know who said this. I lost the source now. But they said David Bowie embodies a certain maturity with his sexuality, his disturbing aspect, all sorts of things that characterize the adult world which obviously was a big part of this film, right? Teen going into adulthood. Bowie said, I'd always wanted to uh, be involved in the music music writing aspect of a movie that would appeal to children of all ages. So he was into it. He liked the script and he loved the idea of writing music for a film. So he was on board. You know, he's completely alluring, completely uh, a character that draws people in and are people infatuated with. And what better to play the part than a rock star because that's what they are but at the same time david boy is very very smart and very talented in the way i built the jareth character i gave him other qualities he's also a romantic hero he's also contemporary with the leather jacket has armor on it this refers to 15th century knights i gave him a swagger stick it has a crystal ball but if you look at it it's a microphone in that he is supposed to be um, a young girl's dream of a pop star. Um, we got in a lot of trouble, you know, about maybe how tight his pants were, but that was that was deliberate. It's very eclectic. So it is deliberate, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was. But it's a part of her sexual awakening, right? That's a yeah. whole bit. It is odd, yes, but it does make a lot of sense when you yeah, when you read into it all. Um, uh, some I wouldn't say smaller casting points, but some important ones or interesting ones, especially in the in the puppeting arena. So you had uh, Jim Henson's son, Brian Henson, was in there. Uh-huh. You had Kevin Clash, better known as Elmo. Elmo. You know what it was missing? Tickle me Goblin. Tickle me Goblin. Tickle me Jareth. Tickle me Jareth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tickle me, little girl. Don't tickle me now. Um, Frank Oz, he was famously Yoda. Ah. Yeah, so Yoda's in this. He also went on to direct Mr. Frank Oz. He did Little Shop of Horrors and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Bowfinger, and Death at a Funeral. So this guy's still around. He's still kicking. He's doing shit. Big time. So from Puppeteer, from Yoda to that shit, that's pretty cool. So he's one of those. Wait, Yoda wrote those, uh, directed those movies? Frank Oz was Yoda, the voice and everything. Did those movies? I had no idea. Yeah, I hope he's rich. Whenever I read these things, I'm like, I hope they're well compensated. Google Frank Oz net worth. Frank Oz net worth. <laughs> I, I feel guilty. I feel dirty whenever I do that. Yeah, because I don't want to reduce it to that being the only measure of success. But I do want to. I want them to be well taken care of. But and so there's like three humans in this. 
the baby is actually the artist's son. Yep. Baby son, one-year-old son was the baby. Toby. Was Toby. Who um, surprisingly has turned out okay after yeah. being fucking tormented and yeah. traumatized. This kid's crying. Whenever I see this, I'm like, how do they make kids cry like that? He's terrified. So he's gone on to be a, a successful puppeteer in his own right. Because I heard him one thing, Brian, for defending that scene. He's like, oh, he wasn't really crying. He was just... He was fucking crying, He man. was having a great time. He was He was not. crying anyway and we put him there. Which I guess is what you would do. But still, whenever I see scenes like that, even in ads, you see babies crying and it's like, like shut that baby up, right? Well, it was oh. Shut it up. But like, did you make it cry? Do you, you, don't, you don't just sit around waiting for it to cry. Oh, it Someone did long. something. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't take long. long. Just you wait. We'll be crying in the background any minute now. So, I mean, they're most of the human characters. We already touched on some of the puppets, but this is a big puppet movie, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Mm-hmm. So he built all the puppets, built all the puppets and mechanics. Took over a year. So it took five months to film. Amazing. It took over a year to build all this shit. So we do a little like detour, not a deep, but a detour, just a little deep dive on Henson. This guy has been everywhere. Yoda, because that's the Henson Company, did those creatures. Didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much so anywhere, you, shit? anywhere you see a puppet, yeah, uh, Probably. unconfirmed, but I'm pretty sure any puppet in that movie unconfirmed, is Henson. Unconfirmed, definitely. <laughs> what about um, Happy Healthy Harold? Ooh. Confirmed Henson product? Unconfirmed, but, but definitely. But definitely. <laughs> so this guy, he started puppeteering... In high school, just because he, I think he wanted to do something creative and saw an opportunity, and so he. How do you reckon the puppeteers went with the ladies? <laughs> it's niche. It's niche. It's not exactly varsity football. Well, it is how he met his wife. Yeah, it is. He probably wasn't prom queen. <laughs> Maybe not, but fuck it. I'd rather be Jim Henson, man. Yeah. What he, a legend. Yeah. What a legend. Yeah. So starting in high school, he got on TV for the kids' TV show with his puppets. He did a ton of commercials. He did all these, all this shit on, I think, WRC TV. I'm not even sure what that is. But he did all these puppet shorts that became TV shows and went into all these commercials. But what's really cool about these that I didn't realize was you got even early stages of Kermit the Frog developing there. Yeah. And these weren't necessarily kids' things. Like a lot of this stuff was on late at night. Some of it, he did SNL things. He did some clips for SNL. So it's not really kids' stuff. I think we all know him for Sesame Street and the Muppets. The Muppets, The definitely. Muppets are a bit all ages, but yeah. Sesame Street, quite young. And I didn't realize how much Kermit the Frog is kind of in all of them, I guess. I never realized a, that. Yeah. And I'm Kermit the Frog reporting to you from the podcast, Double Impact Podcast. You just slipped into some Ray Romano, but it was good. Yeah. This Deborah. Oh, Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> I can only do slightly adjacent impressions. I can never do the one we're trying to do. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> All right, so he made a ton of commercials. A big breakthrough was planning this for TV meant the, the puppeteer can sort of be around and just not in frame. So that was a big development. Sounds very technical, but basically a big game changer in terms of how you puppeteer. Um, made the Muppets. Muppets are a big one. Muppets are a huge one. Arguably his legacy. Yeah. The late 60s joined uh, Sesame Street. And when I think of Sesame Street, I think of one thing. I don't know about you. Of course. This is my my Sesame Street nostalgia bomb. (laughs) 
great song in a podcast where we already talk so much about ah. the music of a film it's just in the world of henson alone beautiful 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 why 12 i wonder yeah just sounded right who was your favorite muppet i don't think i have a real carved out area of my brain for muppets muppets where you got kermit and pete Mill miss piggy yeah but they're in sesame street as well aren't they i think no not at all Maybe. Kermit is. Maybe. Isn't he? Oh, you're really challenging me. The Muppets have had a real hot and cold thing, haven't they? Because they, they had a show recently which was a bit like The Office. Did they? That was the most recent iteration. I can't remember. Which I like the idea of, but I didn't watch it. So yeah. I guess, is that kind of where it's at culturally now? We all kind of like it, but maybe we're not watching it. Mm. But yeah, it kind of sucks because this was the last film of Jim Henson after all that fucking great, what a great fucking journey. Yeah. And this is a good movie, man, but it unfortunately it just didn't quite hit the way they wanted it to. I think, yeah, absolutely. And as we said, it really rattled him apparently, according to his wife and, and his son, it really rattled him. But um, yeah. I think because he died in what, 90? 90, 90, I think. Yeah. yeah. I and think he was only like 50-something and it was sudden. Young, yeah. It's like just some weird infection or something. Toxic so. shock syndrome. What is that? It sounds made up. Like it's one of those things I don't think you die of Isn't these that a days. Band? <laughs> Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah, that's toxic. Shock that's syndrome. system of a down. Similar. Yes, <laughs> not dissimilar. Yeah, um, but it's a bummer. But to to hone in on one of his great creations of this film, Hoggle, it's a bit of a technological marvel. Yeah, it's a little person in at there. Had a, a little person, a woman, and I don't think she could see anything because the whole face was mechanical. I saw her interviewed. Oh yeah, she said David Bowie was one of the few people on sets that look after her because people kind of forgot. That she was in Hoggle. Oh, because it seems like a puppet, right? Yeah. yeah. There's like had, there was something like thirty mechanics in the face alone, and you had five people. Yeah. Operating. So they had all these people doing different five intricate people. parts of the face. Mm-hmm. So she has to walk and move the arms and everything, and one other guy is moving an eyebrow. So they had to really coordinate. It's fascinating. Yeah, but she it's said, "Yeah, like cool. be, it'd be a break-in set, and it obviously would have been pretty hot in that in that costume." Um, and then occasionally, Bowie would be like. Don't forget Leslie. Really? Mm. That's pretty cool. Her name wasn't Leslie, but it <clears throat> began with L. Maybe. Shari. Shari. Or S. <laughs> Leslie Larry? and Shari are similar. It's close. Apologies I mean, if you're listening, Shari. They're both names. But yeah, like in how many movies do you get that many people playing one character? That's pretty fucking cool. And I think I appreciated it more the second time around. Again, once I was kind of in the zone on what this movie was, I liked Hoggle a lot more and I was like, ooh. That's fucking hardcore. Mm. You notice the intricacies yeah. more, and I was a bit dismissive at first. In saying that, there was some CGI, Gregory. The opening credits. Yeah, which holds up, I reckon. I, I remember I, before I looked into it, just even watching it, I was like, is that a CGI out? Like, that looks It does. Legit. It looks good. The opening sequence is a CGI owl that then settles into the real world. Of what, um, yeah. But apparently at the time it was proper groundbreaking. The first time like a live animal CGI'd basically. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, I mean that's basically it in in in, in the backstory. We talked about the music already, which is a big deal. Trevor Jones did the score. Uh, but then there's obviously a lot of Bowie tracks within there that were made especially for this film, which is really cool. 
Some of them were even released as singles, but I don't think they I don't think they smashed it. But no, yeah, Trevor Jones is pretty interesting. Yeah, he did Dark Crystal as well, so they're buddies there. But yeah. then he's got a really interesting mix of other movies. Did you have a look at that? Last of the Mohicans. Last of the Mohicans gets you, gets you pumped up. Yeah, I listen to it sometimes at work when I've got to put the earphones in and forget about yeah others. Uh, he also did like Arachnophobia. Cliffhanger, but then he's done other movies that are less. Uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but he's done Notting Hill and uh, uh, Crossroads. So they're, you know what I mean? They're different type of movies. Because everyone's got to work. So yeah, some interesting influences. Wizard of Oz. I, I saw some Marty Bush in there as well. Well, which yeah. obviously is a river, you know, it obviously inspired the Marty Bush guys. That's a, that's a massive one I didn't think of. Fuck. That's such a good point because there's this delight. Did I get watching Boosh? Yeah. I feel like the beauty of that show is it's a kid's show for adults. Yeah. And it captures a lot of this stuff that we grew up with, packaged uh-huh. up in a more adult kind of thing. I saw uh, What's His Name in a live show once, Noel Fielding. Really? And it was batshit crazy and awesome. I'm such Same fans. kind of thing, like puppetry and his wife chitted him with an isosceles yeah. triangle and you know, all kinds of... It was a plasticine animation. Like, it was fucking amazing. Like... Synapses in my brain were firing off that, you know, hadn't been yeah. touched in years, you know, it was that kind of thing. Oh, Loved terrific. it. Loved it. Yeah, and I think there was a bit of a vibe of, of this Definitely. in watching it, it and, you know, different eras and that kind of thing, but it tickles that same part oh, of the brain. Absolutely. But yeah. I think for, there was a direct, the one that really went, I go, oh, the Bush guys must love this show, was the um, the red bird yeah, head take yeah, off. The guys off their trying, heads yeah, and shit. Yeah. That was the scene I was like, oh, this is Marty Bush all day. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice, obvious influence. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was kind of, for me, it was like a Wizard of Oz meets Marty Bush. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Should we jump into the plot on that note? Yeah, sure. Um, so so we start off, uh, we're introduced to a girl. She's in a white dress in like what looks, it's like an English sort of style country hillscape yeah. setup. I think she's just returned from a doof. I think she's on a doof, at a doof. <laughs> Because she's sort of dancing around talking about goblins and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so she's at a doof. Let's just say that. <laughs> um, Defcon 17. <laughs> and then she returns home and she's about 15. She's pretty young and she starts probably having a pretty drastic come down. And her parents are there and her parents are cracking the shits at her. Parents are saying, we're going out. You've been out a weekend. Now it's our turn to go party. Well, you're looking after your little stepbrother. He's in the cot. Just take care of it. The parents obviously like to jam as well because they're just like, why aren't you dating? You're 14 or you're 16. Yeah. Which is a bit weird. So then, yeah, she's coming down hard at this point. The doof's over. <laughs> she has to look after Toby, uh, her stepbrother, who's significantly younger. He's an infant. He's like one, maybe six months old. Half-brother? Like Half-brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Half-brother. Okay. So the parents are going out. And they've said, look after Toby. He's in bed. He's good to go. Just chill. Start dating. Um, and she's in her room. She gets really angry. She's so angry at the parents. She's yelling at the parents. They go out. And then she kind of bursts into Toby's room. This baby's trying to sleep. He's crying. Maybe he's crying. But you don't, 101 of parenting or looking after kids, don't flick the lights on full beam when the kids are you're trying yeah. to get the kids to sleep. It's a good point. It works for adults too, right? Same for babies. Don't turn lights <laughs> it works on. works for humans generally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's light. Bad for sleep. Anyway, she's got no care for that. She goes in. She's yelling at the baby. Surprised she doesn't shake him. Like she's really, she's coming down hard and she's aggressive. Yeah. She's got withdrawals. She's obviously a drug addict. Um, (laughs) It's really, she needs to chill. 
Next minute, she sneaks off back to her room. And I think at this point, she dumps some like mushrooms <laughs> slash acidy type products. So she's like, fuck it. I'm in such a bad state. I'm just going to get back right back on it. The doof. Is hair over. of the dog. Yeah. Hair of the dog with acid. So she has some it's more acid. It's starting to make more sense as you yeah. explain it this way. So she yeah. has a bunch of acid. And then she goes back in and starts talking about goblins. She's like reading this weird story to this poor kid, right? Next- but this was, to clarify, the place she was reading earlier yeah. is where this came from. I didn't get that on the first viewing. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, I why is she plot. talking about goblins? But then I re- it's the play. She'd read about the goblins at the door. And then as we talked about earlier, there are, apparently it's pretty common folklore for goblins to take babies. Apparently. apparently. So she starts asking goblins to come and... We sh- cut to goblins, which is... I didn't quite get... Like, where are they? I think they're in the cupboard. Okay. And then the owl comes back and turns into David Bowie. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. He's like, I'm taking, I'm taking the baby because you asked me to. She's like, no. Actually, all of a sudden I've changed everything I've been saying for the last 15 minutes. Yeah. I want the baby back. But the acid is like, they've taken hold yeah. at this point. It's no going back now. There is no Strap going yourself back. In. You better, you got to go with it. Yeah. If you don't go with it, you'll end up in pain. So you got to go with it. But she fights it. Big mistake. Big mistake. She doesn't let the Goblin King take the baby. She, and he basically, propos- his proposition is, what does he offer her? Love. This is where I get confused. The logic here is there is a, The logic is light, yeah, because I can't remember what he said there, but also he doesn't want her to get through the labyrinth, but then he does. Like, what does he want? I'm conv- Oh, gosh, who knows? So he basically- If we're missing something, let us know. Yeah, explain it. So then he says, I've got this labyrinth thing. Come and check it out. Come and get your brother. You've got 13 hours. It gives her a time frame, which you don't always get when you take acid. You're not always going to know how long you're going to be high for. So it's pretty nice of him to go, you're going to be high for 13 hours. hours. Is 13 hours a general rule of thumb? It was for her. But is that a thing? Like that, I'm now interested in this reading of the film as, because maybe that is. Maybe. I'll have to Google that. Most trips la- won't last more than 12 hours. There you have it. From the Google. So he gives her a... Uh, Know, even a bit longer P- puts a bit of a buffer in so come in my labyrinth for 13 hours you'll see some weird shit you'll meet some hoggles and you'll be good and i'll give you your brother back yeah all the acid will turn on you and he'll stay a goblin forever <laughs> anyway so then she's transported into his labyrinth and she meets uh hoggle thought why why was hoggle weeing yeah so this is again where tonally it's a bit all over the place and like who is this for because why so when she arrives at the at the door of the labyrinth, she's greeted by a, a dwarf-like character, Hoggle, who's peeing in the sort town. of the main the main puppet of the film. Yeah, he kind of guides her. Slash, he's he's kind of like half in her camp, half Bowie's little. Oh, yeah, notice the jazz. back of his shirt looks like a face. Perhaps oh, he's two faced. He's two faced. He's pissing when when she arrives at the the labyrinth. Is this a puppet technology? They couldn't wait to show up. Yeah, he's he's. She rocks up and sees him just taking a leak. Now with peeing action. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird choice because it, it indicates we're about to get real dark to me. Yeah. Are we in like the seedy part of... Are we dropped into toilet humor puppetry? Yeah, but... Well, it's toilet, but humor. The impression it gave me was we're in a seedy area. Anyway. So then she go, goes into the labyrinth, essentially, and is met with a series of obstacles and... Challenges. So I guess I, we don't need to talk through all of them. Yeah, what are some highlights? Maybe some key characters along the way. Little worm guy. Little worm, little worm guy. guy. He sent her in the wrong direction. Yeah. That was a cool special effect, though. 
I didn't see that coming. No. The, she walked through the wall in a really cool, yeah, basic way. Cool. There was Ludo, which is like the orangutan. That was close to where the wild things yeah, are the kind wild of character. Things are yeah. type character. But she's very nice. This this guy's Ludo is getting sort of bullied by a bunch of other Cretans. Yeah, with like little babies on sticks. Yeah, that was pretty weird. That was shit good. was hardcore, it. man. But yeah, so she this guy comes down off this Yeah, and then he kinda helps her for a while. He's a good he's a good ally, like for his strengths. Yeah, he's cool. I also like the little fox man that rides her dog. Oh yeah, he was significant. What Wait, was how did the dog show up? It's a dream, bro. Yeah, well or is it? Ooh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At various times we cut to Bowie. Uh basically chilling around his little kingdom in his tight pants and his scepter and balls. Singing some songs. Singing some songs. Yep. And, yeah, he drops an absolute banger in Magic Dance. Uh, copyright suggests we shouldn't play it, but press pause now mm. and go and listen to Magic Dance. Do yourself a favour, put it on. All right, we've come back and you've just spent 4 minutes, 12 seconds listening to Magic Dance. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're probably feeling good. That was a great little scene. Maybe you watched the <laughs> video clip. Bowie's just having a good time at this point. Yeah. I also heard in my readings, because apparently he's a prolific machine in terms of producing work. Like Bo- he's a, Bowie. A, Bowie was a real workhorse. Right. So much so that when he got signed on for this, apparently he came back like a couple of days later, literally with a couple songs. of days with fully finished songs where he got the Harlem choirs in. And he did that. He did a, a suite in a couple of days. And everyone was like, what the fuck? I was trying to think like, what do I love about these songs? And I think especially on Magic Dance, his voice is peak. It's big, yeah. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in some songs, some Bowie songs is kind of just talking. This is like he's, real. He's pushing it out. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently on set, which, he, which comes across especially in the Magic Dance scene, he's just kind of like swanning around, smiling, giggling. Right. Apparently it was a bit of a holiday for him because oh. he worked. he's so used to working so hard that filming this movie was chill. Because he was touring all before this, yeah, right? Yeah, he'd been prep. working like Live Aid or something? There was a bunch of stuff. Maybe it wasn't Live maybe. Aid. There was something big going on. Yeah. This was a break. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, I guess the other point in scene to call out is they have this weird ball. Well, he basically drugs her first. He's, I oh, didn't sorry. really get this yep, until the go. second. No, but that's I, I kind of glossed over this yeah, until same. the rewatch. Well, the re-rewatch. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that was intentional to feed her that what, apricot peach. or something. Peach. peach. And it, so he kind of drugged her he and then it got her, kind of weird. And then they went to a, a ball, a masquerade. A you know, they had a, oh, by the way, side note, you know how he's always playing with the crystal balls. Yeah. They had another guy, a crystal ball expert. Ball guy. So like when he's standing there, there's actually a guy behind him sticking his arm in front of Bowie doing the ball tricks. It's not even Bowie playing with his it's own not balls. Bowie. Bowie's not playing with his own balls. It's, Bo- no. it's, all, it's all Bowie in the trousers though. Yeah. Uh, and then the final scene. Yeah. So she has a little helpers, Ludo, Sir Didymus. They help her there. And then she gets to the final scene. She goes, I need to do this by myself. Yeah. And then she enters the final scene to confront the Goblin King, Jareth. I guess this is probably the most tangible moment of it, this being part of her sort of subconscious or yeah. dreamscape. Is she enters into Esher's famous illustration of the, the steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is seen on her bedroom wall yeah. next to her bed. Yeah. And he's there with the baby and she's trying to like chase him around and she's like, you have no power over me. But what does he want? Again, I'm I not. I don't know. Because he's like, stay with me and it'll let me rule over you. Let me like, love you. Let me dominate you. But then he didn't want her to get there. Like, I don't, that's where it, I don't get that. 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it all wraps up. Goes home. Oh, and then the parents get home and further proof to them also. So the acid wears off. She's back home. She's like, wow, that was a serious trip. And so her parents said they were getting home at midnight. And instead of like coming in quietly and (laughs) checking on the baby and going to bed, they're like, they open the front door. Sarah, are you awake? They're coming in hot. They want to party. Yeah. You got any of that acid left, Sarah? Let's put on some Bowie. Put on some Bowie. Why, why would they turn on all the lights and shout, are you awake, at midnight? Yeah. That's silly. Let her, let her come down. Who's the real monster here? That's um, what I want to know. Society. Yeah. So then, yeah, then there's a bit of a, then the, all the goblins kind of appear out of nowhere and they have a little dance and she's like, yeah, you're still my friends. Yeah, like, so that's, that's where it gets weird because, again, on the first rewatch, I was like, oh, but it was a dream, right? Oh, but, but was then it? But why are they there now? Yeah, why are they back now? It just kind of breaks the whole thing. Because fuck it. But then the more I read into the film, it seems very intentional, a lot of the stuff they did. It seems lazy to then just throw the puppets back That's in fair. there. That's fair. Yeah. Should we get into that? Yeah. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? There's been a few fan theories. It has. Did you, is there any of note that you would like to share with our listener? I've got three. The first of which uh, is interesting. Probably not not true. The second of which is a harsh or a, a deep reading of it. And the third is what I think is probably it, which is maybe a combination of a couple of readings I read. But the first one, I don't know if you read this one too, the idea that there are potentially many Sarahs that yes. came before her. Yes, It's kind of cool. That's the only one I read, to be honest. Okay. I quite like that. So the story goes that a long time ago, a sorcerer named Jareth Cutestory fell in love with a human girl named Sarah. Ooh, go on. Her parents would not allow them to marry. No. And so Jareth, in a fit of rage, kidnaps her baby brother, builds a palace for her, but because time moves differently in his world, Uh it was all too late. She passed away. But she just got old and... It's over. So he, he descends into madness, and over time he keeps finding new Sarahs who look a bit like her and... This kind of story we see in this movie happens over and over again. And so he he looks for these dark-haired Sarahs that fit the mold. So someone who has a mean stepmother, baby brother, and the pattern continues. Uh huh. So it's interesting. That the part of this is also that at least one Sarah made it out. And that's why when she's reading the play, the play is very closely reflecting what happens in the movie because that play was based on another Sarah's experience. So... It's interesting, but it feels like a bit of a stretch. Yeah. yeah. I think anything that doesn't include acid is a bit <laughs> of a stretch in this story. I think that's interesting. I think yeah. that's like a cool that's I, a cool theory. It's a good fan theory. Yeah, but it's not really and, and this one is a bit dark. I almost didn't include it, but I think because I think, you know, a big part of this podcast is does this film still hold up? Is it still culturally relevant? And I think fan theories are a good indication of you know, is it still being talked about? And this one is, while extreme, probably a good example of how much this film can be talked about and read into and that kind of thing. So this one is more of a sexual abuse angle. So the story of self-acceptance and learning to survive sexual assault. Whoa. So this hinges on quite a few interpretations here of different elements of the film. So looking at her bedroom and yeah. looking at her rehearsing a play, the indication is that her mother is an actress Perhaps the mother left her dad for another actor, in this case, played by David Bowie. So if you look closely at her mirror, there's a woman and a man together in a photo. The man is David Bowie. The woman is presumably her mother. Oh. 
indicating that David Bowie is her stepfather. Right. So the indication is that she was abused by her stepfather. Right. And the way that Jareth interacts with her, Bowie, is very sexual, aggressive, bully. He drugs her at one point. He's sort of grooming her, like, let me rule over you. You can have whatever you want. So there's a lot of that to it. Yeah, so it's kind of, when you say it like that, there are traces of that. I wouldn't think the in, the intent is there so much. No, it doesn't. It feels a little off-brand. Yeah, yeah. But but apparently, so, again, a, a lot of this film had more cultural impact after the initial release. And so there were mm-hmm. also graphic novels written and comic books. And apparently there's more detail in those that give a bit more Ooh. validity to this. I mean, not not literally. Yeah. I think there's probably more clues that you could interpret, but it doesn't doesn't explicitly say any of this. So I think that's interesting. But I think what I would say is the closest to the intended reading with a little twist that I liked as I read through this is really the, the obvious one that the labyrinth is her subconscious mind. Yeah. Everything you see in the room, everything you see in the labyrinth, it, there's been a clue in the room. Yeah. She has a little labyrinth set. She has all those books. Pictures of Bowie. Oh, yeah. That's what I think is juicy. Yeah. But I think those pictures of Bowie are Bowie. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. How good is that? She's just got the hots for Bowie. Yeah. And so I reckon that's fucking cool. When, when, once that light bulb went off, went off yeah. in my head, I was like... I think that's it. I suddenly love this movie. So she's a teenage girl... Who frosts over Bowie. Who frosts over Bowie in the 80s. She's becoming a woman. Yeah. She's having feelings she hasn't felt before. Mm-hmm. Her mother is making her feel uncomfortable about or stepmother is like you should be dating get out there what are you doing and she's like got photos of bowie all over her room one is a statue of a goblin king right next to bowie Mm -hmm. and so it makes sense that all this stuff in her room the mc escher painting the books all this stuff melds together to have weird sexual (laughs) awakening with none other than the man she's she's crushing you know got a teen crush on so that all makes sense the crutch makes sense the the creepiness of Bowie makes sense because it's from her point of view of almost a weird, yeah, you know, uncomfortable uh-huh. grappling with all this stuff. So pulling it into the real world like that, if you interpret that as oh that is Bowie, and they probably go, how do people not? How are people misinterpreting this? I put everything in the yeah. in her bedroom. Everything's in it's the bedroom. On yeah, the show. including Bowie. Including yeah. Bowie. <laughs> yeah, like. Guys, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, there's literally photos of Bowie on her mirror. On her mirror. There's enough fantasy in here. It's nice to have a literal, a literal aspect to it. And I think that tiny detail suddenly gives it amazing legs. Me like, too. I think that's so fucking cool. It just feels tighter then. You're just like, Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. Um, and I think on that note, I say it's aged pretty well. There's a few other things I wanted to call out in terms of its legacy. Yeah. <clears throat> so as I mentioned... There were some comic books um, up until 2012, so that's pretty recent. So this thing's still around. I didn't. I never saw confirmation if this ever happened, but in 2016 there was a reboot announced. Oh, since then there's been more detail that maybe it's not a reboot so much as it is like in the same universe kind of story. Right. And written by Nicole Perlman, who wrote Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, that's so it could be promising. Yeah. But then apparently there was also a spiritual sequel. So a film called Mirror Mask, I'd never heard of. Have you heard of Mirror Mask? Uh, I've heard of Mirror Max. Mirror Max? Nah. So Neil Gaiman, he did American Gods. He's He's like one of the most prolific 
is one of those novelists, Mister Cool guys. He yeah, does graphic novels. And I shit did read too. this. Yeah, go and on. this movie came out. It's done. It's happened. It happened in two thousand five, and apparently it's um, similar in spirit to Labyrinth. I think it started as was it going to be a sequel? Was it going to be this? Was it going to be that? So they they gave Neil Gaiman access to a, bu- a bunch of other material that right. hadn't been released. Yeah. Um. So extra storyboards that Brian Stewart had drawn up and. I can't remember what else. Um, a bunch of other sort of material yeah. that was true to the original scope and original ideas because they wanted him to have the fuller picture. Neil Gaiman's response was, "Oh, look," because people were like, "What else was there? Like, what are we missing? How, you know, what is the what is the solution to this?" Yeah, yeah, labyrinth? yeah. And uh, I think what he said was that, um, you know, what Jim Henson is actually a bit of a genius because a lot of the stuff that wasn't on the film. Kind of wasn't necessary. Ah, so right. he did no loose ends. Yeah, yeah, he did a remarkable job of making all this stuff and going above and beyond. But then, when it was time to make a, a feature, he was very skilled in pulling what was necessary to create the best version of that picture. Yeah. So, i.e., you didn't miss out on much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So maybe that's why this movie, this mirror mask thing, wasn't so much a sequel as maybe a spiritual successor or whatever. Yeah. Right. So that's probably a good time to try and catch a summary. How do you? How would you wrap it up, mate? Uh, in terms of my feelings, yeah, I would say this film slowly won me over, and I, yeah, I'm in. I, it'll never have that nostalgic place in my heart that some of the other movies we do mm. has, but it has my respect. Yeah, I'd probably land in a pretty similar territory. Yeah, the more time I spent with it, the more I liked it. I did enjoy listening to the puppeteers. There was like a 25th anniversary or whatever Q and A live stage thing <clears throat> that they did, and they they fielded a bunch of questions from the audience. And one of the questions, which speaks nicely to the conversation we were having about CGI versus real effects. Oh yeah. One of the questions was, "What couldn't you do with the?" With the means you had ah, yeah. when you made the movie versus what you could do now with like Avatar and whatever else. Yeah. And the guy was like, well, Jim Henson was like peak of his career. He could get money. So we weren't short on cash. We had the team that had the, like the patience to create everything and basically we had time. So we made things the yeah. right way and everyone was on board and we had the best team. And he goes, so we never really got frustrated. We just kind of, kind of happy making the whole thing. I think- in talking about you know the film the other day where we talked about CGI versus puppeteering and yeah real effects and just knowing what went into this movie in terms of the time the blood sweat and tears and then you know you add Bowie into the mix yeah agree and that soundtrack man that soundtrack I'll be listening to that plenty man yeah it's a must see in terms of Jim Henson's kind of legacy mm-hmm. but perhaps we should call out that it is a legacy that has been since tarnished very recently. Remember that the Happy Time Murders that came out like a year ago? No. So it's it's got Melissa McCarthy, and it's all the puppets, and there's like a it's like an adult movie with puppets in it. No. Almost sounds like a good idea executed poorly, and Brian Henson made it. Oh no, his son. And there's all these. I think Sesame Street is like suing them or something. Oh dear. It's, yeah, so, I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it is, in terms of thinking about the legacy of this guy's output, it is the most recent yeah, um, conversation, I guess, that's happened. 
interesting. interesting to note because I didn't realize it was actual Henson thing. I thought it was someone doing a piss take on Henson. And he was there. But it was a Henson. He was there. <laughs> yeah, he was there. Maybe to round us out, one little clip from our pal, uh-huh. our pal, Ms. Connolly. Yeah. Talking about yeah. her experience on the picture. What did you know about Boyd before this picture? What did I know about him? Um, not too much. Right? I didn't really, I mean, I mean, I certainly knew who he was. I listened to his music. When I first met him, I was a little, I felt a little shy, of course. You know, it's a strange feeling meeting someone who you've listened to for so long, you know, on the record player. But um, he's, he's very friendly. He's very um, down-to-earth, open kind of, kind of person. And he's the kind of person who makes you feel very comfortable around him. You know, very at ease. I was impressed by the, the openness in him. He's open to, every, to everyone around him. You know, and he doesn't sort of get locked into one idea and then not want to listen to anyone else's because he thinks his way is right. You know, he's not that kind of a person. He plays around a lot. He feels his way before he, before he knows that that's, he's made the right choice. It was beautiful. All right, let's wrap this up, Greg. Who's your MVP? Uh, it's pretty hard to go past Bowie. Yeah. Um, On second watch, I say Hoggle, just because of the all work. the technical. Yeah, the yeah, fact that that cool. came together as one character. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Hoggle sounds like a good call. I'll, I'll stick with Bowie. And on that point, a rewatch, reboot, or bin, I, I would watch a reboot. Ooh, oh, yeah. let's see what you did there. If the Boosh remade Labyrinth, I'm in. Because Noel Fielding could play the Goblin King. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's a great idea. You could even have the Crack Fox in there. You could have all oh. kinds of shit. It's blood from a cat's face. I think, I mean, old Greg could be in there. Old Greg, yeah. Oh, this is a great oh, idea. This writes itself. This writes itself. All right, Surely Hollywood, you listening? It. They must have thought. I mean, that's basically what the whole show is, I guess. And they're it's basically like, what if? They're basically yeah. listening, right? I assume. One would assume. Ultimately, watch this thing. Yeah, watch it. Listen to it. Listen to it. Yeah, get, get on the soundtrack. Yeah, that's the a soundtrack good entry level. For sure. Yeah. What's in the pipeline? Uh, coming up next, I yeah. believe we are going to look. We're going to switch gears a little bit. Similar era in a parallel universe. Yeah. Beverly Hills. Achwell. Achwell Foley. So that's coming up soon. Although in this movie, we should say also, if we've missed something, yes, if you disagree with our verdict, if you have a fan theory, let us know. Uh-huh. Hit us up on Instagram. Double Impact Podcast. Double Impact Podcast at gmail.com. Don't be shy. Email, slide into our DMs. Let's chat. We want to hear from you. But otherwise, we'll see you next week when we talk a little. Copyright. Yeah,